about a Hungarian king who was feeling quite depressed. And so he calls on his brother to come in so that he might be able to help him. And he tells his brother, he says, I am a great sinner. He said, I am afraid to meet the Lord one day. Now, his brother was a good-natured guy, but he was kind of indifferent about a lot of things. And so when the king tells him that, his response is simply that he laughs. Like he laughs. And that didn't help the king out whatsoever. I mean, the king, he was a believer in Jesus, but recently there had been some things that had kind of opened his eyes to certain sin in his life. And he was desperately trying to figure out, what do I do to fix this? Well, in that time period, it was customary that if someone was about to be executed, the executioner would go to the house and they would blast the trumpet sound as a signal showing everyone that this person was about to die. And so in the middle of the night, the king sends an executioner to his brother's house. And he blows the trumpet blast and his brother wakes up hearing this noise, knowing what is about to happen. He quickly throws on some clothes, goes towards the front door and the executioner grabs him and takes him to the palace. And he is trembling, he is pale. And as he's there brought before the king, he falls on his knees and begins to beg the king saying, brother, what have I done to offend you that is worthy of me dying? And the king simply looks at him and says, well, brother, if you are this afraid of an earthly executioner, then how much more should I not be afraid, one who has grievously sinned against God, of standing before him one day? And as I think about that story, I get the truth of when you and I, when we take a real look at who we are, when we understand that we're not perfect, when we understand that we are sinners, when we understand that we have chosen to rebel against God, and at the exact same time, we realize who God is and how perfect He is, it causes us to bow our knee to Him. It causes us to have a fear of the Lord. Now, a lot of times when we talk about God, that's not an aspect that we talk about. We talk about, man, we love that God is loving and that he is compassionate and that he is forgiving and he is full of grace and full of mercy. But if each one of those was a puzzle piece that we were putting together this puzzle and we stopped right there, you would be missing a big chunk of who God is because he is equally just and he is powerful and he is sovereign and he is glorious. When we take a step back, that is who God is. All of those things together, which really does make me smile whenever I hear the song by Mercy Me, I Can Only Imagine. And it hasn't been, I mean, it was written a long time ago, but simply when you hear the verse or the chorus of it, and it talks about, I don't know what it's going to be like when I stand before you. Like, will I dance for you, Jesus? Or will I be just in such awe that I won't even be moving? It says, Uh, Will I uh, be able to speak at all? Will I sing hallelujah? You know, all these things. What is going to be happening when I stand before you? I think sometimes we maybe play it out, man, I'm just going to run up and give Jesus a hug. I'm sure there'll be a time for that. I think there'll be times though that I am falling on my face as well because we see him for who he is. And when we understand that, like there is an appropriate amount of this fear of the Lord that is in our relationship with him. Now, as I say that, we also need to talk about that word fear. 
because even as we talk about this word fear, like sometimes like, well, we fear something evil and that's not what it is because even in 1 John chapter 5, it tells us that perfect love, it casts out all fear. So if you are a believer in Christ, you don't have to worry about when I stand before him, what's going to happen. You can hold on to the promises of God and what he has done in your life. And so that's not the type of fear that we have. But it is this fear that is full of awe and reverence. But I'll tell you, even as we use those words, sometimes it's like, man, we view something that's awesome. And in that moment, we're like, that's really kind of cool. And then we go on to the next thing. But I am talking about an awe and a reverence that when we understand how great he is, we know that we are not on the same level as God. And we are underneath him. And we owe everything to him. And that puts us on our face. That is the fear of God. We're in awe of his greatness. And we see this all throughout scriptures. In fact, if I just were to tell you some, we could jump back to Genesis. And one of the stories the kids learned at vacation Bible school this week was about Abraham and the faith that he had as he takes his son Isaac up to be able to sacrifice him because this is what God told him to do. And as he raises the knife, he says, stop. And he then says, I now know that you fear the Lord. I now know that you love me more than anything else. And so you don't have to follow through with this. This was just a test. But there is this fear of the Lord that God wants us to have. If you're to fast forward to the book of Exodus and the people of Israel, they have now been freed from Egypt. They have gone through the Red Sea and they are now at the foot of the mountain where Moses is getting the Ten Commandments. But all the people, they're standing around and the things that they can just see up there, I mean, it scares them. And after the list of the Ten Commandments is given to us in Exodus chapter 20, we read these uh, words in verses 18 through 20. It says, when the people saw the thunder and lightning and they heard the trumpet and they saw this mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and they said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. Said Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. Like when we have this healthy view of God, of who he is, you know what? We don't go around going, oh, it's easier to ask for forgiveness. Like that's not the way we do it. We don't just go around going, yeah, Jesus is my homeboy. Whatever sayings those are, that's not the way it is. We understand that he is greater. And when I understand that, it keeps me from sinning because I don't want to have to say I'm sorry. I don't want to have to come up with an excuse of, or a reason of why I did this because I want to obey you. If we go to the book of Joshua, the people of Israel now are about ready to go into the promised land. In fact, they're about ready to take over Jericho and two spies go into the land and this lady named Rahab hides them on her roof. And when she goes up to talk with them, she says, all of us, we have heard of what God has done through you. Like we've heard of how he rescued you. You went through the Red Sea. We know how you have taken out these other kings. And it talks about how we now have great fear here. Our hearts have melted and our courage has wasted away. And it completely changes her life. And it's not just the fear of Israel because them by themselves aren't necessarily going to take down these walls. But knowing that God is fighting for them, it completely changes her life when she understands who he is. We could continue walking through the Bible and we come to a prophet named Elijah. 
And during this time, the people of Israel were sometimes worshiping the Lord, sometimes worshiping other gods. And so Elijah says to King Ahab, okay, let's have this competition. And so we have the prophets of Baal and Asherah over here. And Elijah stands here representing Yahweh. King Ahab is kind of watching over the whole thing. And all the people of Israel, you know, they're in the grandstands kind of seeing what's going to happen. And and Elijah says, we're going to have this competition where we set up these altars and whichever God lights the sacrifice first, we'll know that he is God. And Elijah spends most of the day just sitting back watching, throwing in a few little taunts here and there going, hey, why hasn't your God answered in all of this? And finally, he then steps up and he prays. And he says, God, I pray that you respond in such a way that people will know that you are God and that I am your prophet. And when he says amen, this fire from heaven comes down and does so much more than just lights the fire. It takes out the entire sacrifice and creates a crater where all of that has been. And when the people see the work of God in that moment, it tells us that they fall on their face and they start saying, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. When we come into contact with who he is, it creates an accurate fear of the Lord that we should have as we live. There's another prophet named Isaiah who talks about how he saw the Lord in the temple and just the the magnificence of him and these other beings around him as well. And he then understands who he is. And he says, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips. And even as you continue that in chapter six, then you see God saying, okay, who will go for me? And immediately Isaiah's like, I will go. Like when you see God and he asks for you to do something, you're like, yep, I will do whatever you want me to do because I understand who you are. Later on, we see a prophet named Jonah, who God says, hey, I want you to go to Nineveh, and I want you to preach to the Ninevites so that they might repent. And Jonah's like, but I don't like them. (laughs) Like, I don't want them to repent. I want them to feel the consequences that come with all of this. And so he goes the other direction, gets on a ship for Tarshish, goes down below deck, he's sleeping, and there is a storm that comes. And so all the sailors, they're trying to figure out what to do. They start throwing things overboard, trying to lighten the ship so that this storm will not cause it to wreck. That is not helping whatsoever. And so Jonah wakes up at this point and they start talking, okay, who did something against their God to make their God angry? And so they cast lots and it falls to Jonah. Jonah says, it's me. Like my God, he told me I should be going here, but I am running the opposite direction. And so they said, well, what do we need to do? He says, you need to throw me over the boat. Like, we don't want to do that. And so they even begin to like row back towards the, the shore. And yet the storm is just continuing to get bigger and bigger. And so they actually pray. They're like, please don't hold this against us. And then they throw Jonah in to the water. And it's not long until everything becomes calm. And the text tells us that the men on the ship, they greatly feared the Lord. They begin to offer a sacrifice and they make vows to him because when you see the power of God, man, it reminds you who you are and who he is. In fact, even in the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, God is speaking through Malachi and Malachi is talking to the people and he says, you have robbed me. You're not giving the way that I told you to with tithes and offerings. And then you're going and complaining about the things that I'm doing or I'm not doing. And so he gets on to them. And then it says that the people who feared the Lord came together. And they began to talk and they said, we need to change. And they even wrote something up. And God then looks at them and he says, you will be my people. 
You who fear me, you will be my people. I will be with you. Like this fear, this awe of God, we see it again and again and again. But maybe you're like, yeah, but that's all in the Old Testament. Like when, when the New Testament comes, it seems like God maybe shifts. He becomes more loving, you know, and you see Jesus. And so, you know what? There's a big shift there. Really? Because when I see Jesus, even when he is a toddler slash infant, these men from the East who have all sorts of power come and they bow their knee to this child. Or when Jesus is now in his ministry, this man who is filled with a demon, comes running up and falls at the feet of Jesus. And before you say, well, it's the man who just wants this demon gone. No, because immediately the demon says, what do you want with us? Please don't torture us. You could look at Peter who is following after Jesus. And up to this point, he's just listening and master. Yeah, you're a great teacher. And in this one moment, Jesus says, I want to be in your boat. I'm going to teach from the side. And afterwards he says, take your nets and throw them out. And he catches such a large number of fish that immediately it all clicks with Peter. He falls down at Jesus' feet and he says, you need to leave because I am a sinful man. Or you could even fast forward quite a few years and look at the apostle John. After Jesus has died and risen from the dead and gone back up into heaven, and when all the other apostles have been killed, and they even tried to kill John, but it didn't work, so he's now been exiled. And on this day on the island of Patmos, he hears something, and he turns around, and he sees Jesus in his new form. And it says in Revelation that I fell at his feet as though dead. It's not just God the Father. Like when we get an accurate view of who God is, man, it causes us to live with an accurate fear of the Lord. And I know I've mentioned this before, but it just makes me come back to that one simple line in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe where the beavers are talking to Lucy and they are describing Aslan, the lion, the king. And she simply says, so he's safe And the beavers say, oh no, child, he's a lion. Didn't you hear me? He's not safe, but he's good. And that is the God that you and I serve. We can't control him. He's not safe, but you and I can have confidence that he is good. Now, every single weekend, like so many of us come together to meet in this building or watch online. And there are so many other people that meet in church buildings, or if they don't have buildings, places to meet together as the church. And man, there's quite a wide variety of people. Like you've got some of you who, you know what, your parents, the first week you were born, you were in church and you haven't missed a single week unless you absolutely had to. Like that's just who you are. We have some people who, you know what, you gave your life to Christ maybe 10, 20 years ago and you've been actively living for him. We have some people who, man, I gave my life to Christ maybe a year ago or whatever and just living this new life. I'm, I'm still in the beginning stages of it. Every week we have people who have come in that have not yet made that decision that I am here, I'm learning, I'm trying to figure all this out. What does this mean for my life? And so they're here learning about that. Every single week we have people who walk in either to this building for the very first time or church in general for the very first time because they're trying to figure it out. Something is going on in their life and they're trying to figure out either for their kids or for themselves, just all the pieces coming together. And so we meet together every single week, but no one person is better than anybody else. It doesn't matter what your past has been. When we come and meet together, you need to know that every single one of us belong here. We all belong here because Jesus looks at each one of us and says, I love you. I care for you. I died for you. 
And when we meet together, we are at the foot of the cross. All of us saved by grace. And when we're at the foot of the cross, we look up and we see Jesus, who has displayed love so magnificently. And then we look at ourselves, and it causes us to bend our knee. It causes us then to have an appropriate fear of the Lord. And so then in Proverbs, Solomon talks about what does it look like to live with this fear of the Lord? What comes with that? And so that's what we're going to look at. And if you have your Bibles, turn to Proverbs chapter 1. There's just 14 different verses we're going to look at. This week, they're all in order. We're not jumping back and forth and all that kind of stuff. If you want to use the app, they're all right there. But we're going to go through these numerically. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on each one. I'm simply going to let Scripture tell us what this looks like to live in the fear of the Lord. But I'll tell you, every single one of these is underlined in my Bible. And so Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7 is our first text. We actually read this two weeks ago. We were talking about what the whole purpose of the book of Proverbs is. And in chapter 1, verse 7, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. And so here we have the fear of the Lord being tied together with this idea of knowledge or wisdom, that that is kind of where we start with. In fact, Job in chapter 28, 28 says something very similar. He says, The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to shun evil is understanding. And so, again, we need to start out as we're living this life, trying to follow after God with the appropriate fear of the Lord and with wisdom. If we continue reading in chapter 1, verse 29, okay, verse 29 of chapter 1, it says, Since they hated knowledge and they did not choose to fear the Lord. Now, you might be like, okay, what's the context there? We read this one last week when we looked at wisdom, and we were talking about what happens when I choose not to listen to wisdom. And so in this section, it says, if they chose not to fear the Lord, there are consequences that come with that. Like you and I, we ought to live the way that God wants us to, fearing Him. If we go to chapter 2, we're going to read the first five verses. It says this, My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding. And if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and you will find the knowledge of God. And so again, you see wisdom being tied together so much with this idea of fearing God. It will help you in the way that you live. Now turn to chapter 8. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13 is where we're going next. And this is what Solomon says here. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. And so you hear the second half of the things that God is saying he hates. But here in this first line, if you and I fear the Lord, it causes us to hate evil. It causes us that I don't even want to be around this. I'm not going to say, oh, just a little bit of this is okay. When I have this fear of God, it keeps me away from this stuff that I should not be involved in. In fact, my heart doesn't even want to be involved in it. Go to chapter 9. We're going to look at verse 10. This one will sound fairly familiar to one we've already read. It says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And so again, you hear this idea of wisdom being there, and this is the starting point of as I continue to follow after God. Next chapter of chapter 10, 
verse 27. Chapter 10, verse 27. says, The fear of the Lord adds length to life, but the years of the wicked are cut short. And so again, it sounds like something we learned about last week with wisdom, but when I fear God, it causes me to do the right thing, and that naturally will lead to a longer life. Again, it's not a promise, but when I am living the way that God wants me to, then I'm not putting myself in situations that are not wise, that will put me in traps and things like that. And so living with the fear of the Lord adds to life. Let's go to chapter 14. Chapter 14, verse 26. Solomon writes this. He who fears the Lord has a secure fortress and for his children, it will be a refuge. So when you and I have that accurate view of who God is, it is a protection of us because we're living a certain way, but it doesn't just stop there. If you are raising a family, that protection continues to watch around them because they are learning the same things. They are seeing what it's like to fear the Lord. And so as you fear the Lord, it gets passed down to your kids as well. The very next verse in chapter 14, verse 27 it says, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, turning a man from the snares of death. And so again, we've already heard this idea, but uh, this, this fear of the Lord brings life. It keeps me away from these snares, much like wisdom did. Go to chapter 15. We'll read verse 16. Solomon says this, better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. And that makes me think about the verse that we learned last week about wisdom being more precious than rubies and silver and diamonds. And so even here, this fear of the Lord, I would much rather have that and little else what the world can offer me than to have all the money in the world, but be living in turmoil. I want to live the way that God wants me to. In chapter 15, verse 33, it's our next verse. It says, the fear of the Lord teaches a man wisdom and humility comes before honor. And so yet, just another verse, you hear wisdom and fear of the Lord being tied together again and again. Uh, chapter 16, verse 6 is our next one. It says, through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for. Through the fear of the Lord, a man avoids evil. So again, when I am fearing God, I don't want to be part of any of these evil schemes whatsoever. Turn to chapter 19 now. Chapter 19, verse 23, Solomon says, the fear of the Lord leads to life. And we've learned that already. It says, then one rests content, untouched by trouble. And so again, not only does it bring life, but it brings about this peace again, that you don't have to be paranoid about things catching up with you because you are living the way that God calls you to. Turn to chapter 22, verse 4. says, humility and the fear of the Lord bring wealth and honor and life. And so again, when I choose humility, when I choose the fear of the Lord, there are things that naturally come with it because of the way that I'm living. And the last verse that we're going to look at is chapter 23, verse 17. It says, do not let your heart envy sinners, but always be zealous for the fear of the Lord. Man, I think that one's important for us because so many times we can look around and see these people who maybe aren't living the way that God is, and you're like, look at the success that they're having. Look at these things that just seem to be clicking in place. 
And God says, I want you to continue to desire to follow after me, to have this fear of the Lord, to know that I will watch out for you. I will guide you step by step every day of your life. And as I hear all of these verses, this common theme about the fear of the Lord and wisdom is that they will guide you and they will keep you from sin. In fact, Solomon, at the end of his life, when he writes the book of Ecclesiastes, kind of looking back over everything, he says this in chapter 12, verse 13. He says, now all has been heard, and here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Like you and I, we are created to be in relationship with God, but that means having an accurate view of who he is and choosing to obey what he has instructed. So that's the text. So what does that mean for you? What does that mean for me? I don't know if you've been living with an accurate fear of the Lord, if it's kind of a flippant relationship, like you're on the same level ground as Jesus, or you're kind of like, I'm just going to do what I want. I'll ask for forgiveness. You know, maybe you kind of give him control of certain areas of your life, but other areas like, no, that's what I'm in charge of. Or maybe your view of who God is, is the puzzle is only halfway done because you don't like to think about these aspects, but understand that he is far greater than you and I ever can be. And when we understand who we are, and we understand who he is, that will guide us, that will keep us out of sin. And in that moment, we'll realize that he's not safe, but he's good. So I don't know what God has for you today on that. But what we're going to do is we're actually going to have a couple moments of quiet time. And here's my encouragement to you. Because God is so much greater than you, I would encourage you to get into a posture of submission. And so maybe that just means bowing your head. Maybe that means putting your hands up. Maybe that means physically getting on your knees during this time. And you can pray to him. You can just visualize who he is. But sometimes we just get so busy and going from thing to thing to thing that we forget to realize who he is and how great he is. And so maybe there's an aspect of your life that he wants you to change. Maybe it's your life in in general. It's like, I need to give my life to him so that he's running it and not me. I don't know what that is, but what I want is for us to have about two minutes where you just get to spend time with him and may you get an accurate view of who he is and who you are. So again, I encourage you to take any kind of posture of submission. Let's spend time with him.
Holy, holy, holy are you Lord God Almighty, the one who was and is and is to come. Jesus, thank you for dying for us. God, that we could be made new as Cameron spoke about a while ago. God, that we don't have to fear what that moment will be like when we see you face to face. God, I pray that our lives would be ones that do worship you, that honor you with our actions and our words. It's not that we earn any kind of steps or grace, but God, we're just thankful for who you are and we want to offer it back to you. God, work on our hearts and our lives. And if there's aspects that we need to give to you, please, God, convict us. Help us to let go of being in control and let you be the one to lead. So God, speak to each one of us the way that we need to hear. And we look forward to being with you for eternity. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.